Welcome to the Making Sense Podcast. This is Sam Harris. Just a note to say that if you're hearing this, you are not currently on our subscriber feed and will only be hearing partial episodes of the podcast. If you'd like access to full episodes, you'll need to subscribe at samharris.org. There you'll find our private RSS feed to add to your favorite podcatcher, along with other subscriber-only content. And as always, I never want money to be the reason why someone can't listen to the podcast. So if you can't afford a subscription, there's an option at samharris.org to request a free account. And we grant 100% of those requests. No questions asked. Okay, brief housekeeping. The Waking Up course, the groups feature is finally launching, I believe in the next update. So more or less any day now. And uh, this will give you the ability to schedule a time to practice with friends and colleagues and even strangers. You can just go out to people in your world and um, then meet in a virtual group where you can sit in silence or listen to a guided session or both. I'm actually excited about this. It will obviously create social support for people and accountability, but I think it'll just be very cool to see your friends practicing with you in silence. I'm hoping that it'll simulate the intimacy one experiences on retreat. It's amazingly intimate just to sit with people in silence. So hopefully that proves valuable to everyone. Needless to say, if you discover bugs, please let us know at support at wakingup.com. And if you're not using the app and you want more information, you can find all of it at that website. The app launched now nine months ago, and the feedback has really been great. It is very gratifying to know that so many of you are finding it useful, but it's still very much a work in progress, and it will be absorbing much more of my energy over the next year or so. So stay tuned for changes and more content. Okay. Well, in this episode of the podcast, I speak with Ricky Gervais. You surely know Ricky from The Office and Extras and many of his other shows, most recently Afterlife on Netflix. You can also see his great hour of stand-up there titled Humanity, and he has another one in the works called Supernature. This conversation was a long time coming. I've been emailing with him for years at this point, but uh, we had never met, so I took the opportunity to fly to London. I thought this was one that had to be done in person. Anyway, it was great to finally meet Ricky, and we talk about many things. We talk about comedy, obviously, and fame, the effect of social media. We talk about the risk of telling offensive jokes or saying much of anything, really. Uh, We talk about Louis C.K. and Brexit and Trump political hypocrisy, the state of journalism. We touch many things here. As always, if you find conversations like these valuable, you can support the podcast by becoming a subscriber through my website at samharris.org. And I left the bonus questions in this episode, but uh, once my website is revamped, which is also happening very soon, we'll be rolling out the bonus questions I've acquired for other guests to subscribers. So those, along with Ask Me Anything episodes of the podcast and some other content that will soon be coming, 
is there to incentivize subscription. Because while the podcast itself is free, subscriber support is what makes it possible. And now, without further delay, I bring you Ricky Gervais. Oh, do you want to make sure that's recording? Yeah, no, it is recording, but it's. Uh, I just want to make sure the level is right. So yeah, I think oh, we testing. can keep this closer. Uh, uh, testing, yeah, as close to you as you need to be. But yeah, I don't want. I don't want you. I don't want you to put your back out for this interview. So you should okay. be uncomfortable. Okay, okay. Uh, why don't I do that? Hold Get on. you comfortable. Yeah, yeah. I will move the mic to make you comfortable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What kind of chair is that? <laughs> it's a novelty chair. Right. It's from Graham Norton. Right. Is that too much? I'm. Te- yeah. I'm I have no mic technique. Yeah, well, at all. Yeah, this mic. This mic. Well, you are a podcaster, so you should have some mic technique. No, but um, I've never, I've, uh, um, yeah, this. This you, you can get right up on it, but you have yeah, a, You have that big just, laugh. Okay. So uh, <laughs> yeah, yes. sound man all <laughs> so, over the world. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I'm going to ask you to leave the room if you have to do that again. Okay. Laugh. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> that big laugh. That's a lovely euphemism for annoying no, noise it's, it, no it's big, a, he has a big laugh it's, it's a great laugh yeah you, you know who's the biggest laugh have you ever heard jeff bezos laugh no he has the the most cartoonish billionaires laugh well, I the, mean, uh, it, it's just it is like a rifle shot it, i imagine it, yeah, it's fantastic it, it might be sort of a, <laughs> a, a linear relationship of wealth to right, health right funny <laughs> everything is <laughs> exactly. the laugh gets louder and louder <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah okay so okay, right there we go i'm gonna get you now two idiots setting up to try and sound intelligent <laughs> i am here with ricky gervais ricky thanks for coming on the podcast my pleasure you've I've traveled a quarter of a mile for this yeah. <laughs> in the, the, my office, very near my house in Hampstead. You, you've flown 3,000 miles. Yeah, so guess which one of us is jet lag. <laughs> That's good. I, I, have the, I have the advantage. It's an honor. I've, I've, it's, it's, for me it's been, too. It's been some years that I've wanted to just meet you. And I, mean, it's been, you know, I just noticed that uh, it wasn't happening by accident, though we were exchanging emails. So, yeah. you know, so I just wanted to make it happen. The day has come and it's it's a thrill. I'm a bit nervous. You're a professional comedian, and a, I know, and but a I'm scared. World that, famous star. I'm scared that us two in a room we'll egg each other on and we'll say we'll say things that that will be. You can't have a subtle argument anymore. Is my right. is my point? There's there, there's no there's no place for nuance or or everything has to be binary for the for the right people to agree and disagree. And there's no context anymore. No one cares about context anymore. They take anything out because it's all about point scoring. So that's why when, I do, when we're discussing, you know, contentious or having a discussion seems dangerous well, in the well, modern world. Well, I want to talk about that. Let's, before we jump into that, I just want to ask you a few questions about just how you got into this position. I mean, so it's like, at what point did you become famous and how how long were you working in comedy before you had to think about the world paying attention to what well, you were doing? Well, I, I guess the, it's sort of an accident, a very slow, gradual process. And, and by the time I decided to be a professional comedian, I sort of nearly was one. Because the, the office came first, right? Well, I actually started stand-up before the office went out. And I think my first Edinburgh show was while The Office, the first series was, was going out on TV. So I certainly started right in The Office before I started doing stand-up to any degree. But it, they're about the same. But 
I think it was, it was still relatively late, you know? Okay, briefly, I was a failed sort of musician, early 20s. I then uh, eventually got a, a job, just a job in my 20s, and um, I worked in an office for like nine years, I think, which is what the office was sort of based on, you know? I, I wasn't taking notes. I wasn't thinking one day I'll be a comedian and I'll write about this. I was right. thinking this job's near my house. <laughs> it <laughs> pays it. the rent yeah. and uh, I've got friends and it's, it's fun, you know. And then uh, because I worked as part of, it was the admin centre for the university, I helped a local radio station get its licence by letting them promote to the students. And out of the blue, because I got on with them, it was a tiny little station had just got his license called xfm they rewarded me with a job and I, again it was still an admin i was the head of speech and they wanted me to you know um write little news things and help out in the office just it was it was a gift of a job right right and i was meant to write things for the, the djs you know what was on that night or bits of the news and and because i'm lazy I thought, I thought oh, do I have to type this out? Can't I just go on and say it myself? It'd be quicker. Right. And I went, yeah, go on. And I went on and I was funny. I was just myself and I was sort of funny, but a normal guy being funny. Never, right. never thought that this would be my job. And soon I was popping up on three or four different radio shows throughout the day. And it was, it was just the day job with a, a little bonus, you know. And I think from that, I got someone was listening. They were starting a new show on Channel 4, this is 1997, and uh, it was called The 11 O'Clock Show. So it was sort of like a cutting-edge, no-hold-barred sort of Saturday Night Live for new comedians and pretty much anything, anything, you'd say what you want. And I went on there a couple of times, and uh, I suppose that's, that was when I thought, oh, this is good, this pays better than a real job, it's less work, it's fun, but still, I was thinking, "Oh, this is this is not not going to last." You know, I'm just doing this, and and then I thought, "No, I, I'm earning enough now to do this full time." And I'd already started; I already had David Brent along with lots of other things that I was doing. Just again, it, it seemed like I was an amateur comedian all my life. So, so you had David Brent as a character before The Office? You yeah, yeah, and he wasn't called that. Yeah, it wasn't until, um, you know, he started thinking about it and he's got to have a name. And then there was this sort of nice synchronicity that I was earning enough and didn't have a day job to sort of write The Office. And, and it still didn't go out for another two or three years. It went out in July 2001. And then I also got a, my own show from the Channel 4 thing as a, as a, a little spin-off called Meet Ricky Gervais. You know, again, it was getting like a, a million people. And, but I knew I had the office and I knew the office was sort of more important. And I, and I thought, this is, the, this is what I want to kick the door down with. And, so uh, what year did the office air? 2001, July the 9th, 9.30, BBC Two. So, so when did fame kick in? When did you... Suddenly, well, that was that was certainly. I'd have to say that I would be getting recognised on the streets and have and see things about me in the news and my picture around right. immediately. Uh, the fir the first season of The Office, yeah, but still, but to, to most people, I came from nowhere because all the other stuff was small. I had a, I had a bit of a cult following 
from mm. the 11 o'clock show. And, but, you know, we're still talking a couple of million people right. watching that. And the, indeed, the first series, The Office, I think only got like one or two million people. Then it repeated and it became a cult. And then it was like four million. And then the first, the first episode of the second season got started at five million. So it yeah. grew sort of gradually and quickly. But yeah, that was certainly when I thought, oh, okay, I'm a, I'm a professional comedian now with a bit of profile. And uh, it was creepy at first. I, in fact, I feared fame before it happened because I was sort of older and wiser. I was like... Because you're in your 40s, right? Yeah, well, yeah. 38, 39 yeah. starting. And then after the first year of The Office, I think I, I hit 40. It would have been... Yeah, it would have been... Yeah, July 2001, I was, I was just 40. And uh, it's because I, I, lots of reasons, I, you know, I, I, I didn't want people to think that I'd, I didn't want to be lumped in with those people that just wanted to be famous. So I wanted to be clear that this was an upshot of fame. If you become a, if you become a, a successful comedian or actor, you're probably a bit of a famous one just because, right. you know, and uh, I never signed that, never signed that deal with the devil, you know, make me famous and you can go through my bin. So I was quite militant about my privacy and probably too much. Now, I've, now, I, now it's cool. Now I don't care, you know. And uh, I also thought it, was, it would be an injustice for people to tell lies about me because I thought my reputation was everything, you know. And now I think it's still important, but I realise that reputation is what strangers think of you, you know, yeah. and character is yeah. what your friends know you are. And so I don't care anymore. Now I, I hear things about me. I think, who cares? No one cares. No yeah. one cares. Yeah, well, I, well I mean, <laughs> so people certainly pretend to care. They give a, a good semblance of caring. Yeah, but then it's, that's like, that's like it, really, if you, if you take, you know, social media, not just social media, now, now lazy journalism, the, the, the worst bit of clickbait for me is so-and-so said a thing and people are furious. No, no, they're not. 0.001% of people are furious. The rest of us don't give a fuck. And we wouldn't even know about it if you hadn't made it a headline and shown two tweets as an example, you know. So that's the problem. If you take what social media is saying, you might as well go and visit every public toilet wall in the world and, and get offended by what they've written. Right. You know? Except there's, there are now real world consequences to this of kind of amplification. Of so course. Well, that, that's exactly what it is. Twitter's, I mean, Twitter's become more and more of a, a, a cesspool. And uh, you just mustn't, you mustn't take it. Seriously, you've got to treat it like it's virtual. And I don't, I don't get a lot of stick, really. I see some people that they're, they're, it's like they're, they're keeping back a mob with a, with a, a flaming torch. It seems to me that you have created a persona for yourself that inoculates you against the, the worst part of this. I mean, so, so you, well, first of all, comedians in general have a little more latitude than normal people make. A comic can get away with something that a politician could never well, imagine saying. Traditionally, traditionally historically, yeah. but now it's like, it's like it's worse to make a joke about a bad thing than to do the bad thing. <laughs> well, so, so, yeah, so I want to I talk about that, about whether comedy has become more dangerous. But I also want to notice that, that I, I do think you are, you're, you're managing to fly above or below the radar in a way that I, I feel like other comics aren't because you, I mean, I don't know if you understand the, the physics of it, but I feel like you are more bulletproof than most, partly because you don't appear to give a shit about the any kind of backlash. Well, that has to be 
the perception, I think, for a comic. Because as soon as, as soon as you start apologising to the, the mob, you might as well give hecklers the stage because that's all they are. They're hecklers. And um, you, you've got to be in charge. And, and I think I, I, if I have achieved that, I've achieved it for lots of reasons that's, that's happening under the water. That is, I try and make my stuff bulletproof so I can defend it. Right. I don't go out there and go, I'm going to say what I want and offend who I want and I'll ruin the day and I'll, under, I'll, I'll undermine the moral fabric of society and I don't care. I'm, I'm not like that at all. When these, these jokes, these routines hit you know, Netflix or BBC, mm. they've, been, they've been tested on people around the world. They've been honed. But then there's been a sea change in people's attitudes. So, I mean, of there, course. Are there any jokes that you once did and could have fully defended at the time but now wouldn't do has anything fundamentally shifted for you well i think the the big impossible feat through through recent changes is you can make your jokes bulletproof at the time but now you have to make them bulletproof for 10 years time just in case yeah, there's or a, 10 thousand years time exactly <laughs> yes. yeah you know it's people never are going away john yeah. wayne was cancelled 40 years after he <laughs> right. died yeah, yeah. recently for, yeah. for not being woke enough yeah. in 1971 <laughs> you know? yeah. so just how woke did you expect john wayne to be i know exactly i know yeah exactly yeah <laughs> disappointed in in, in in an interview for Playboy magazine, right. no less. Right. <laughs> so like people yeah. reading Playboy nowadays are going, this, is, this isn't woke enough, yeah. you know. So, but you, you, can't, you can't legislate against stupidity. You can't legislate against the future. All you, all you can hope is that people understand. Like um, I, I talk about this in uh, uh, my new show, Supernature, about the cancel culture, that it's not enough to apologize anymore and move on. People want blood. People want you ruined because it's a point scoring competition now so kevin hart did some shitty childish homophobic tweets 10 years right. ago right about oh, my son's not gay right at the time he got a back i said oh sorry i didn't mean it like that i was just being silly really sorry deleted them all then he gets the the job of his life you know last year um hosting the oscars the tweets come back up the mob on twitter going what about these tweets you're finding a homophobe you're going to did he cannot do Oscar's going to go, oh, just apologise again, Kevin. He goes, no, I can't keep apologising. I said sorry, yeah. and I can't keep apologising. So he lost a job. Now, he's got a point, really, because if there's no value in saying sorry and changing and progressing and evolving, why bother? He might as well just do those tweets again. And it's really counterproductive. Also, if the apology isn't sincere i mean that, that, that's the actually I, I want to talk, let's table that for a second i want to talk about the, what i am thinking about is kind of the physics of apology i mean just what just how yeah. how can people redeem themselves what what should constitute an adequate apology well it's but, 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 before we get there i want i want to understand this this issue of of dredging the the past in search of controversy because i th this did almost happen to you recently it was more targeted at Louis C.K., but so you had that interview show where you did, where you sat down with Louis C.K. and Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld. Yeah. And you guys used the N-word, and you were, you're, you're discussing why it is that, that only two of you ever use the N-word and the, the other two of you never do, but you're using the N-word in the, in the context of having this discussion, yeah. right? And then this gets exported to social media in, in, and, and media in general in the most in, inflammatory framing. I mean, the, the thing that was, in my view, 
totally exculpatory and it was exculpatory at the time. I, mean, I don't remember you getting grief at the time for this. No. It was like 2011. No. Was that you were explicitly referencing one of the most famous bits of comedy ever is a Chris Rock's bit about yeah. the N-word. You know, there are black people and then there yeah. are N's and he goes, goes back and forth. And me and Jerry were saying we never use that. Right. Right. And then and, and, and Louis C.K. does, and then Chris, he and, and Chris yeah. were going back and forth about about that. And you know, I think Chris said that he was he was black or something. I mean, so it, but it was it was the most important point is that at no point was there an indication that anyone there was a racist or would ever use this term to express racism, of right? Of right? course, yeah. And and the, and the and the person who got the brunt of it, of course, was Chris Rock. For <laughs> allowing, yeah, he, he you know, the Uncle Tom, he, he helped yeah. midwife this atrocity. Yeah, his, yeah. His, that was their headline, and uh, uh, the rest of us were sort of like collateral damage. But um, he was the he was the one that got that got the right. real hate. Well, I mean, the, th the thing that is well, and Louis and Louis, uh, yeah, in, I mean, because they of were, other, obviously they were trying the, to find other reasons to, of to course, bury him. Yeah, further, exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I actually I want to talk about that as well, but. You heard, you must have heard what happened to um, this guy, Jonathan Friedland, at, at Netflix, the communications director at Netflix. No, go on. Um, okay, so he... I probably do, but I... This is probably now a year old. I mean, this, the story is, didn't get a lot of press, but it's so emblematic of what has gone wrong in, in this moment. So I just want to kind of get your intuitions on it. But the comic Tom Segura, who has a couple of Netflix specials, a very funny guy who, in his latest special use the word retard or retarded. Oh, I do know about this, but I can't remember the yeah. details. Go yeah. On. Okay. So he used this word and there, there was a lot, a lot of blowback. The, I mean, Netflix got lots of grief from, you know, parents with, with kids with mental disabilities. And, and so they had this sort of emergency meeting of the, you know, the top brass at Netflix. So it says Reed Hastings, the CEO, and, you know, the 10 people under him and this guy, Jonathan Friedland, who was their communications director. And he said, listen, we've all been blindsided by this. You know, who knew this it was this bad? But apparently the word retard is as bad as the N-word, but he used the word, right? He said it is as bad as, <gasps> oh, as this word right. for the black community. And right. we just have, we have not, you know, understood this yet. So we have to, so he's, he's using it in the spirit of saying, this Sorry, is how bad he it used is. the word, he used the, he used yeah, the R word he, in he, full, he, he, or he used right, the N word exactly. in full. Right, he, he, <laughs> no, he, used, he used the N word in full oh, to, to, I, to, okay. illustri to illustrate right. how bad the R word is. But again, it, it was in the service of saying, this is of how course. woke we have to be. This of is course. how scrupulous we have to be. This, 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 we have to figure out how to navigate this such that we make amends and don't offend any more people, right? But his uttering those magic syllables, again, in a context where not only was he not expressing racism, he was expressing the most energetic anti-racism, right? He got fired. Yeah. They fired him because the magic syllables had been used in that context. And I happened to find myself at dinner with him just randomly at a, at a dinner party and had not heard the story. So I'm hearing it directly from him and his wife in the, you know, maybe two months after he'd been fired. And it seemed to me they hadn't, they hadn't even absorbed what had happened to them, right? So I'm asking no. him, like, I said, well, wait a minute. So did anyone in that room, you know, did Reed Hastings or anyone under him or even any of the millennials at Netflix who were calling for your head, did anyone 
think you're a racist? And he said, oh, no. No, no sorry. No. no. And, but he hadn't, it's like he hadn't even absorbed the implications of that. It's like this, this was a human sacrifice to a yeah, taboo. Of course. And it seems to me that well, we, that, have that's, to, that's we have to pull back as well. and that, but, then, but then again, there's something comforting in that because a lot of people, if that had happened to me and I'd been fired and lost my livelihood, I'd still want people to know that actually I wasn't a racist. That would still be the worst bit for me, yeah. for people to yeah. think I was a racist. Oh, yeah. So I get, so that, that to me is like a little light at the end of the tunnel that, okay, I'm, I've fired, I've lost my, but at least I'm not a racist. And that's what people know, the power of it. They know it's the worst thing to be and accuse right. someone of. Yeah. And that's the, that's the, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's the power people have when there's a, when there's a, you know, a lynch mob out to get someone, people do sacrifice good people because they can't get to the bad people. But that, that's what's so perverse about this circumstance because what it's selecting for, politically especially, are the bad people who don't care about being of called course. racist. Right? Because like, every, every, you know. everyone that's being fired and publicly embarrassed about a misdemeanor and being called a Nazi, there are real Nazis who... <laughs> Oh, getting away with just, it. Just waiting for the job. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah. This must be amazing for real racists, right, to be out there and going, it's all right, everyone's a racist now. This is a great smokescreen. We've got, we've got people out there calling people who aren't Nazis Nazis, which makes us look, they don't know, they don't know the real Nazis from the people <laughs> who said the wrong thing right. once, you know. It's a happy accident. I think, and it plays into the hands of the genuinely bad people. There are real racists and there are real Nazis and there are people who are oppressing, actually oppressing people and causing harm. And then the people who joke about these things, who are the poster boys, they get the brunt of it. It just makes the world slightly worse. All right, I want to swing back into social media and controversy for a second, but I have another question about fame. Have you gotten too famous for your own comfort if you if you could reel it back and be less famous or be differently famous would you i mean how how much does fame well sort of but then that's like saying i want to be able to turn it on and turn it off i like i like getting a seat in restaurants you know but i don't like people looking at me when i'm shopping for pants well that's that's sort of tough so all i can do is demand all i want is the same rights as anyone else that's yeah. all I want, you know. Yeah, you know, the money sorts out the privilege, right? Right now, I right. just want. <laughs> but no, I, I think I um, you don't. I don't court it. I don't. I you know. I can. I can. I, I I live in a place where I can walk around and I'm not bothered. You know. Now, how how different is that from city to city? Are there cities like if you go to L.A. or New York, are you bothered more than in well, London? Well, I'm not or bothered less, because I, I'm not bothered because I'm I'm a a. Th- 58-year-old in a stable relationship who doesn't do drugs or gamble or break the law or go to... You know, I don't... I'm not an interesting... I'm not interesting. But you must get the incessant demand for selfies and... Yeah, and that's nice. I never right. I never refuse. And that's, it's always... Right. That's nice, you know, because I hear stories of someone... Oh, someone, so-and-so. You know, a person who's genuinely likes your work and they think they know you and they have to pluck up a bit of courage to ask for a selfie. And yeah, I see they're nervous. Yeah. And, and um, I also oh, thank you very much. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, that, that's not, that to me isn't being bothered. 
that's being a, a person. Right. That's being a human being, yeah. you know. If I wasn't famous and someone asked for help that didn't take anything, from, I'd do it anyway, you know. Have you got change? Uh, yeah, I have, yeah. It's not like I, you don't walk away going, what a great person I am. You know, so that's not, that, that, that means it's no skin off my nose. And, but what, uh, so you're in a restaurant eating with friends and people come up to the table and interrupt your dinner asking for a selfie. Again, or... slightly annoying that they haven't, they haven't read the situation right. I, again, but usually I, I'm really left alone in restaurants because we get the, they get it. I could go to places and be bothered. If, if I went to some sort of loud, drunken bar at 11 o'clock, I'd be bothered. If I go to a posh restaurant, I'm not bothered because you sort of create your safe spaces. We'll get onto that. Yeah. So, no, it doesn't really bother me. There is a level of fame that's clearly paralyzing or at least deranging of a normal life where the people, like, you know, the, I guess it may correlate with some of the variables you just checked off as not having. I mean, being you know, whatever the, you know, the, the Justin Bieber level of fame is, or the, you know, the, the yeah. Lady Gaga level well, of fame. Well, that's crazy. Where, yeah, so there's like mean, a crazy teenager. You can't get it. out of the car because there's a hundred people waiting for right. you and, you know, and you have to hide and wear beards and, yeah. you know, that, yeah. that's crazy. I haven't, I haven't got that because I haven't got that demographic. That's a big difference. Yeah. I mean, I, I also haven't got that sort of, I, I see comedians who, uh, they caught it. They say horrible things and scummy things and they get, they get scummy people and then they get annoyed when their scummy people that they've pandered to act like scummy people. Now, all my fans are, I like to think, are, are normal, but they're not crazy because I haven't, I haven't propagated that sort of environment. Do you know what I mean? They're, right. I'm not, I'm not on telly all the time. If I go to a, I might play with 10,000 people, but I'm in the car before they're out of the door. If, if I went, um, if I started stage diving, it'd probably get a little bit hairy. You know what I mean? It, that would be hilarious. It's stage like, diving. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> do, it, do it once, just for the image. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So as much as I sort of fear it, and I'm probably a little bit phobic about, and I joke about, you know, the general public, I treat, I, right. I, I ironically treat them as scum and say things like that. And uh, that's it. There's some of the... But they get I don't mean it. They, they yeah. know that I... I I appreciate my fans more and more, actually, as I get older, and and uh, and that's what makes you bulletproof. Well, that that, that comes through. But it, it's interesting that you so you have that layer of, I don't know if this is on some level, you know, the David Brent persona, or I mean, there's a few of your personas that that, yeah. that you use comedically, where yeah. you're above everyone, exactly. and yet the joke's on you, right? Yeah, so right. Well, that's that. the important point. So traditionally, a comic is a court jester. They're down in the mud with the people making fun of the king. Carefully. You don't want to get off with his head. And so we have to be low status. Now, nowadays, people know what comedians like me earn. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard so, to be low status on a golf stream. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So what do I do? I do it in two ways. One, I invite them in. I let them look behind the curtain. I go, what, you think it's brilliant being rich and famous all the time? Well, look at this. And, you know, I, I, I say, it's, it's not all. Look how I embarrassed myself in front of the queen. Or the first time I took a private jet, they thought I was the cook. So I let him in and go, I'm one of you, right? I, shouldn't, I know right. I shouldn't be here, but I'm taking, it's like I'm taking the piss. And it's not all roses. The other way I get low status is 
I talk about things where they're better off than me, genuinely. I talk about being old and I'm going to die soon. I'm fat. I'm right. going bald. I've got, you know, right. I've got yeah. distended testicles. So I do that. And, uh, and then, um, you know, you, you, you can sort of get away with more. You know, they, they get it. They get the joke. And, and I think that's preferable to lying. I think that's preferable to me going out there and pretending to be on welfare or pretending to still care about this or that. So I joke about being rich and, and uh, I do it arrogantly so that, that hopefully they get the irony. Right, right. It's a great position to be in because you're, you get all of the benefits of being honestly appreciative of your fans and you get all of the fun of playing the, that other layer of you know pseudo arrogance yeah. and 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 it's and but also but also there's a part of me that says honestly if i can do it anyone can they know that i've probably worked hard and they know that i ha- i probably had something but it is quite an inspirational story really a fat working class kid from reading who suddenly makes it at 39 that's quite a good story yeah. it's not like I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth and I had privilege and I, you, do you know what I mean? There's, yeah. the, there's nothing to be jealous of with me. They look at me up there in my bad jeans and fucking sweat stained black t-shirt drinking Fosters out of a can and they go, I don't want to be him. I want his money, but I don't want to be him. You know? <laughs> they, can, they can laugh, they can yeah. laugh about it because yeah. we have to be the butt of the joke really. Yeah. And with all that arrogance and with me, playing the war story. I'm always the butt of the joke. If you look into it, I'm, I'm being childish. If I'm winning, I'm smugly being a child. Is there an example of a comedian who has a, a fundamentally different geometry to their comedy who you, who you would well, there are comedians. There are comedians that don't go there with themselves. They, they go out in a suit and they do puns and they're good at what they do, but those jokes are as good to read You'd almost don't right. need them there. So um, my stuff can't be stolen, yeah. if you know what I mean. It, yeah. it's, not, it's, not, it's not syntax and semantics. It's, it's attitude. Right. It's a mood. It's a man as angry about the world as we are. You know, it's almost not about the lines. It's, there's yeah. a narrative, you know. And this, it's interesting you thought about persona, right? Because that's the other thing, that, 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 the problem that some people don't get. It is a persona. It's a persona as much as David Brent, but it's just more subtle because I use it as my own name. So I treat the audience with a lot of respect in that I want them to be smart enough to know when I'm saying something I mean and when I'm saying something I don't mean. And I, I almost explain that in my new series, Supernatural. I come up and I, I, I do a joke and I go, that's irony. That's when I say something I don't really mean. And right. you as an audience, you laugh you're laughing at the wrong thing because you know what the right thing is. Right. And I explain it at the beginning. You also have that bit in Humanity where you, where you go through a list of jokes that you would never tell while telling, telling the joke. Mm. Of course. And yeah. again, I've set them up. I've, right. I've warned them. I've warned them. I almost challenge them to be offended. And of course, they're not because they, they're ready for it. And then people say, ah, but the problem with irony is some people don't get it. And I go, yeah, that's true. And they go, so... Someone can be laughing for the wrong reasons. And I go, yeah, yeah, I don't know what I can do about that. Because if you water the irony down so much that it's not irony anymore, I might as well go out and say racism's wrong, isn't it? And get a round of applause. Well, that's great. That's lovely. 
but it's not it's not funny. <laughs> no, no. So you want to sort of to me, comedy is an intellectual pursuit. And as soon as you start, you know, pandering or wanting everyone to give you a round of applause because they agree with you, then you've lost something comedically. And I think you've got to be a bit cleverer with it than just going out there and and, and it's not my problem who's at the back. You know, when you play the 10,000 people, there, there probably is a rapist and a Nazi. Yeah. And, a, you know, yeah. I mean, what, what yeah. sort of door policy is that? Uh, as you come in, have you ever raped anyone? Uh, you're not coming. It's like, I'm not responsible for the people at my gig. I'm only responsible for what I say. I'm not responsible for how they take it. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. crazy. And, and the intention behind what you say should be what's most important. I mean, what you're honestly attempting to communicate, if you, if you, if your speech somehow misfires, if you use the wrong word in the wrong context, I mean, I think there was a, someone told me about this, this may be closer, this is, I think this is a British story, which this must be very well known to you, and, and it's, I'm going to botch it because I'm from America, but wasn't there a comic who recently used the phrase colored people in the U.S., saying colored people puts you in the South in 1963. I mean, yeah. you're just a straight-up racist. Yeah. But people of color is the perfect phrase, yeah. right? But, yeah. so, but And to get that wrong is, is enough to have yeah. your, your auto-defe. It would have to be, it would have to be, it's about intent, I think. If you, if you were going around saying colored nowadays, it's hard to believe you haven't heard that we've moved on. Right. It could be genuine. Yeah. It could, it could yeah. be a genuine mistake. Because I, mean, I, I remember when it was the polite thing to say, and then right. when I say that, people thought it was too harsh saying yeah. black. You yeah. know, there's, there's people with good intentions. And, and of course, it, w w if things change, then it's a bit odd that you militantly stick to words that people have moved on from. Right. But it, it, it depends whether it's genuine or not. It, it's, I think it's all about intent. It's all about context yeah. and intent. Well, I mean, the, the reason why it should be about intent, I mean, it's not that you can't cause harm that you don't intend, and, 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 and one should feel sorry about that. But the crucial bit is that the fact that you didn't intend it is the indicator that you're not the sort of person who will cause those harms in the future. I mean, like, you're, well, like in like, 10 years' time, this podcast will have us two saying the C word, right. colored. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And so... so. Yeah. There's already another C word, too. I, I have a list yeah. of C words now. You can say cunt because you're in the UK. Well, I try and explain... Again, yeah. I try to explain to Americans that, that how it doesn't hold the same misogyny in England. It's a term of affection. Saying cunt to a woman would be a bit... I'd never say that because it's just... Right. It just seems too... And, and I'm sexist for not saying cunt to a woman. But I, I try and stress that I, it, it's so far removed from female genitalia in context in England. Yeah. We call it, we say it to men uh, for two reasons. One, we hate them. Two, they're our mate. I was in um, Edinburgh once and uh, two policemen walked past and they said, oh, Mr. Gervais, you're a funny cunt. I said, thank you very much. It's a term of endearment as right. well, you know, but there is no misogyny. It's, it's, in fact, it's almost the other way that you don't use it to, you know, um, so it's very, very complicated and nuanced, but it, it, and that's the problem with social media as well. It doesn't, it doesn't know international boundaries. So when I, when I tweet from London, that's, that's for, a different, that's for all time in every culture yeah, and everywhere. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. 
we, we have to be educated. And, and I'm a fan of political correctness per se, that I don't say the wrong, I try not to say the wrong, I don't want to be taken the wrong way. I don't want people to be offended. I don't want people to think well, that. Well, you're, you're a fan of civility. Civility, exactly, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, political correctness, yeah. Bit, like other things, yeah. has, been, has been mugged and, and changed. And now there's a new word for it, it's woke and, uh, and all that. But yeah, I, I, uh, if, if someone says, oh, we have a new term for that now, I go, good, good, yeah, fine. Just let me know. I didn't get the memo, but now I've got the memo. I'd be a psychopath to still go around using the, the wrong term. All right. Well, I'm, I'm feeling the, the, the tractor pull of controversy is, is irresistible, but I have, I have one uh, left field question to ask you because I'm, uh, now because I'm going to forget it if, if I don't do it. In thinking about this interview, I um, stumbled upon a, an interview you did with Gary Shandling on YouTube. Yeah, which was fascinatingly off kilter, and I, I don't, I, I don't, I couldn't tell how much was being played consciously well, for comedy and how much was truly I awkward. Think he was, and uh, I, I, uh, I don't know what to say here because I've sort of he, I don't, I don't think he was quite himself. Really, he at was the time. He, he was in a bad place. Yeah. yeah, and he talks about it after. There's a thing on YouTube where he talks about it. He says, I, I um, he. He was trying to do a thing and it, it sort of went wrong. What happened was he uh, invited me to be on his, the, some sort of anniversary box set, a, behind, a DVD extra behind, of Gary Shanding, uh, of Larry Sanders, because you know, I was a fan. Right. And I said, oh, I'll do a thing with you as well. Well, I'm at it. I, I was going to do my, I did a thing where I was doing my three comedic heroes, which right. was him, uh, Larry David, and Christopher Guest. And I did, um, I did those three. There's a conspiracy theory that goes around that after the Gary Shanding interview, I cancelled the uh, series. It was right. only three. As right. if you do that then. <laughs> like, no, that's it. Right. That, people think that you do, you do it as you go along. Right. You know, yeah. <laughs> we cancelled right. the series. Right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, so uh, I think it might have been the first one. I did. Oh, no, Larry, I did, um, I did Larry David and then uh, I did yeah. him and went there. I mean, he had and, that, whenever, I, I didn't know him. I, I met him once very briefly, but... Social awkwardness was part of his comedy. Right? I know. So well, like, but, but off air, he told me that he was in therapy five days a week. He had five different right, therapists. Right. When we got there, his crew couldn't find him. He was sort of, he was, and then he came in. And he says he thought he was recording for his thing at first. Okay. There's a thing on YouTube where he talks about it. Uh, look it up. Um, um, I can't remember what it was, but he explains it all. And it was, still, it was still fun. I left it all in, you know. Yeah. People think that it was a stitch-up. I go, no, I edited it. Right. <laughs> you know, I edited it. I left right. it. It's like, you know. Well, that, that's what, that's what, like on this podcast, occasionally I get people attack me as though they've caught me yeah. saying something on this podcast. Well, of course. Like, I, like I, I had a chance to, to take my foot out of my mouth. And of course. I, I, yes, I know. Yes, no, we, leave, we left it <laughs> yeah. in because it's the... Yeah. And also, it didn't feel awkward. It felt like two people, two idiots sparring. Well, and, it felt, it was a weird, it felt like there were sort of comedic egos jockeying for status a also, little bit. I but said, al- I said at the beginning that he's my hero. Yeah, well, yeah, but then, but then it was also, it was not clear that, that what he was playing for comedy and, and kind of, uh, kind of faux status or whether he was, he actually didn't know who you were to the degree that, that most viewers would assume in that, at that moment. I mean, yeah, but he, like was, he, he was teasing me as well. He was, right. try, he was trying to get something going, even, yeah. you know, even yeah. after the initial thing where he says he didn't realise. I mean, then we had, then we right. had a, it was like, sorry, and we, we, were, we were sort of having fun. 
And then we had breaks and he, and he told me lots of stuff that he'd been through. And then we got back to it, you know, right. so. It was just funny. It's funny to be, uh, to, you know, as a, an enormous fan of yours, to just have a document there and an enormous fan of his, to have a document there where the two of you are, are collaborating and to actually not know how to interpret what's going on. I mean, it is kind of a, a weird sort of cognitively yeah, straining but it was like we, we, we were doing it because it was funny and interesting and we were winding each other up. And, right. But then and it then, seemed like it, it, there were moments where it was it but could I have love been that. taken personally. I love that yeah. awkward. Yeah. In fact, you know, I could have put in the bits where, that we, where we stopped and we were sort of normal and nice to each other. Right. But where's the fun in that? Anyway, yeah, there were lots of conspiracy that theories YouTube, that um, yeah. he, he owned me and he hated me. He didn't. Right. He invited me to be on his DVD, <laughs> right, right, right. you know, and then, and then he, uh, yeah, there's a great thing. You should find it. It's speaking about it. And um, he says that he got the energy wrong and he was trying something else. And, uh, and he put it, it, you know, and then the, um, he, and it's funny because when I got back with it, the broadcaster went, oh my God, this is really great. You should do a new intro saying, oh, he was, he was weird. And it was, I was going, no, I'm not doing that. No, right. I'm not doing that. It's yeah. just, it's, he had a, it was what it was. He yeah. had a bad day and, you know. But, yeah, it's, it's odd what uh, people hold up. It's like this thing that owned. Yeah. Is yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it owned yeah. on Twitter? Really? <laughs> owned? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. So we, we've put our toe in the water a bunch here, but let's just focus for a moment on what social media is doing to us. So you do seem to more or less just have a good time, at least like the public, yeah. public facing on social no, media. I mean, you're very engaged. No one's very ever aggressive. genuinely hurt my feelings on Twitter. That would be impossible. Right. Yeah. It's like the, 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 the analogy I use is I'm walking down the street and there's a guy living in a bin covered in shit, right? And he shouts at me, you can't. Am I going to get upset at that? I'm going to keep walking, aren't I? I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I might take a picture. <laughs> but, <laughs> but That's you, a retweet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. Right. No, but it's you, like, do, you do. So let's just walk through this somewhat systematically. So you do respond to people occasionally. Some, some. Yes. I mean, the, the, the truth is I don't get that sort of, again, I don't know why, but I don't get it. I think, I, I, yeah, I have no idea why. Sometimes I have to look for it. Sometimes I search things to look for. If, I, if I'm doing a new bit, I'll put in a couple of words and find a mad thing, you know, and I'll talk about that. And someone said done once, said, why do you only retweet the maddest examples of, you know, fundamentalist Christians? And I go, because a sensible Christian's not funny. Why, where, where's someone who just says, oh, I've got spirituality and, um, yeah, live and let live. There's nothing funny about that. Whereas someone that says, I hope you get raped by Satan, that's funny. That's why I choose the comedy is an exaggeration. It's not my job to be fair. To be fair, it's like, is it funny? Well, now, is there a problem, though, when you retweet someone to whatever it is? I mean, what are you at, 20 million or something? 50, on, on yeah, 30, yeah, right. 15, 30, uh, yeah. So is there a problem that are you encouraging the, the Twitter mob to go after this person who? Well, I, I am a bit careful because you don't want that. You don't want that. So, uh, I try and do it with good humor. Uh, now I hardly do it at all. Was there any point at which you felt your engagement with social media was out of balance and just and complicating your life and, the, and you do course correct? No, wasting not? time. Yeah. It gets away because it's fun. It's interesting. Right. I can, you know, I can sit there and go through and 
and you, I use it as a, I use it in many ways, right? I think number one, I use it as a, a marketing tool. 13 million people who get an email, that's a good, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, and, and on that level, it, it may just be unavoidable. I mean, when you, have a, when you have a new show and you need to put tickets on sale, it would be oh, you know, idiotic not to have a Twitter channel. Where well, you I, do, I don't spend out. anything on, my gigs are pure profit because right. I don't have to spend anything on advertising. Yeah. You know, they, they, they sell out around the world, you know. So there, there's, there's that, right? Why would I not use that? It would be crazy for me to shut that down because there are a couple of idiots. I use it as market research as well because that's not a sample. That's the world, you know. If 100, 200 is a good sample, then 13 million, pretty much as it is, yeah. that's how it is. They're still the echo chamber because they're presumably following me for a reason and, uh, you know, I can't. But it's very good for putting out jokes and finding the ambiguity because someone out there will go, do you mean this? And you go, ah, oh, I didn't know it was ambiguous. That's good. I'll change that. And so it's good for joke writing. It's good for, to reduce. I, I like that restriction of characters to, yeah. you know. It's got to be. It's no good for yeah. nuance. It's no good for. So you've got to be manipulating that sample. You've got to go, hold on, so this person doesn't get it. Does that mean there's something wrong with the joke or does it mean they're an idiot? Usually it means they're an idiot. You know, you, you, don't, you don't care about, if, if 10,000 people are laughing, you don't care about one heckler. It'd be madness to throw, oh, I'll lose that joke. And also it's a disservice. Sometimes I've explained the joke to people and the people who got it are angry. They go, don't fuck it, we got it. You know, don't, and I, the same, when a comedian apologizes, I go, oh, fucking don't apologize. Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, so you can't please everyone. You shouldn't. You can't legislate against stupidity and you shouldn't, you know. Well, so, but you're, so you're, again, I'm trying to find the ways in which you are, you, you seem to be uniquely immune to the pain here because, you know, like but many why do you people. Think I'm, what, what do you mean by I'm a, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure that's true. Is it because I act like I am or the, my responses or the, I shouldn't be, I've survived terrible controversies. I'm defiant against. So yeah, it's just, so it's one, the public perception of you not getting as much blowback as other people would. Because I'll tell you why, it's not the public perception. That's the point. If you're on Twitter, you think that there's a war going on. You th if you go onto Twitter and you, go to the, you hit the right buttons, right? It's like you're watching Game of Thrones. It's like the world is full of Nazis versus anti-Nazis. It's TERFs versus trans activists. It's a, you got in the real world, it's not. Yeah. They don't exist. Yeah. It's like this 1% right. that's, <laughs> that's in your phone. And there's the, that's the terrifying equality that someone living in a bin can do a tweet, and the next tweet is Richard Dawkins. Right. And you go, oh, look, they're the same. They're not the fucking same. Yeah. One's a moron. Yeah. Right? So, <laughs> so that's the problem. So when you go on these things and you, it blows up like it's a... But, uh, but I mean, like you, you pick Richard Dawkins as, as a perfect example of somebody who has obviously complicated his life by his use of Twitter. And, and, and there's certain tweets he has sent, which I think had you sent them... Yeah. It wasn't merely that the joke was poorly crafted in his case. It's that well, he functions by a, a, a different physics of reputation management than you do. Because well, my, my name comes up a lot on Twitter when there's ever a controversy, right? A politician says something, and people defend and go, hold on, what, what, Ricky Gervais says these things. 
which is right. But I want to go, well, hold on, let's look at it. There's lots of variables here. One, I'm good at it. I'm good at my job, right? I've, I've thought about this joke. This isn't me going out and saying the wrong thing. Two, you could say, well, that's not a joke. I make jokes about those things, but that's not a joke about the thing. That's someone advocating the thing. And there's another, there's another big difference there. Is it a joke, first of all? Was it a bad joke? That's another thing. If you're, if you're dealing with really contentious, the more emotive and contentious the issue is, the funnier it's, the joke's got to be. be. Perfect, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, you've got to go, people, oh, I get it. And I, again, I talk about this on humanity, that people often get offended by, a, let's say, a joke. Let's talk about jokes, actual jokes. People saying things they don't really mean for a comic effect to elicit a, a laugh, right? People get offended when they mistake the subject of a joke with the actual target. So, but so but, but some it, people but think it, that yeah. something shouldn't be joked about, which is clearly not true. So, and they do that because they think, and there's lots of stages here, they think that, so if it's a bad thing, if it's a joke. Auschwitz. Uh, uh, yeah, yes. exactly. What's the, what's the target of the joke? Is it people being killed or is it about, a stupid misunderstanding or is the Nazi that there's lots, there's lots of ways this can be okay. You can make jokes about race without being racist. We don't have to get to, you know, is it a racist joke or not? It can be a, just a joke about race. And everyone knows that you can make a joke about race without being racist. It seems to me that there are comics though, that have completely changed their act in response to how, how thin skinned everyone has become. Again, you know, I, I, I sort of get it. You know, you, you have those thoughts. You go, oh, I'm dealing with irony. And I used to play the right wing bigot and everyone got it. But now the right wing bigots are yeah. in charge. So is it the right thing to do? So I, I have to find a way where I can still make these sort of jokes and people get them. And, you know, so there's a, I do feel there's a responsibility to at least try the frame to get the right it. target and hope people get it. So I get that. And sometimes... And then I get why people go, oh, it's just not worth it. No one understands me. I'm getting shouted at and my friends don't get it either. And I want to, I want to be in this club. I, I get it. You're I don't not... want to give up. I don't right. want to give up. I want people to understand it. And I try. If anyone else says, I'll explain the joke. I'm happy to explain the joke because I love the intellectual pursuit. I love to say to someone, no, no, I'll give you an example. If you'd like to continue listening to this podcast, you'll need to subscribe at samharris.org. You'll get access to all full-length episodes of the Making Sense podcast and to other subscriber-only content, including bonus episodes and AMAs and the conversations I've been having on the Waking Up app. The Making Sense podcast is ad-free and relies entirely on listener support. And you can subscribe now at samharris.org.